Welcome to the Hearsay Storytelling Podcast. I'm Karen Stein. Hearsay is a monthly show dedicated to the art of telling stories on stage. We recently celebrated the start of our fifth season. This episode, Go Hearsay, It's Your Birthday, was recorded live at the Workshop Brewing Company in Traverse City, Michigan in October 2017. In the first story of the evening, Joe Page tells how a mishap in birthday cake creation taught her about keeping perfectionism in check. So my daughter was born in 1991. I have two daughters. And most of the 90s were made up of listening to over and over and over again the soundtrack of The Lion King. Over and over we hear Hakuna Matata. You know, it's a problem-free philosophy. And great, great, great songs that Elton John wrote. Uh, my daughter uh, was absolutely enamored with the story of The Lion King. When, so we would chase around town, of course, as many parents can relate to, uh, finding the uh, figures that she was going to collect and all the stuffed animals and so on. And it was lots of fun. We loved it. Well, when it came to be a birthday, I don't know, she might have been five or six, um, we spent some time planning. That was always a big part of uh, what I believed as an upbringing was um, planning, and I, I, I studied Stephen um, Covey, and he talked about um, begin with the end in mind. So we would a lot of the fun in an event is the planning and anticipation of it. So we would go through books and just think and dream about what what we were going to do. But of course, she Lion King, she was stuck on that. So that was going to be the thing, which I was happy to do. Um, the um, of course, the, the pinnacle of an experience of a birthday is the birthday cake, right? So um, we were going to have a birthday cake that was Lion King, Lion King themed, and my daughter decided that she wanted a Nala cake. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, Nala is the lioness. Well, I could not for the life of me find a cake pan that was shaped like a lioness that looked like Nala. And of course, you know, when you're a kid, the cartoon character, that is like, you see that picture in your head and that is what you want to see. That's Nala, you know? So any kind of like cupcake arrangement or anything else that you kind of try to come up with, that's not going to do. You got to come up with what looks like Nala. So I went about um, finding a, a coloring book that had a big picture of Nala on it and I printed it out and then I baked the cake and I carved the cake out in this shape and mind you I'm not I'm not really a, a baker and I'm also not a huge cake decorator but I wanted to do this for my daughter and um, and it was fun so um, get all, all the layout of the frostings and uh, many different colors and we cut the cake around in the shape of Nala um, and the kids are coming soon for the birthday party, uh, maybe maybe an hour, hour and a half beforehand. And I, Lenora's sitting next to me as we frost the cake. I'm trying to keep the crumbs out and all of that. And we get to the point where I had to put the eyes on Nala. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to make a face out of frosting, but it's very, it's not very easy. And I learned at that moment how hard it was to put expression on, uh, on a face with frosting. And so here I had black frosting and I'm putting on the eyes and Nala's eyes were crossed. <laughs> and I'm, as I'm doing it, Lenora's watching me and she's getting this sense of just like total sadness. You're the party, the kids are supposed to be coming anytime and I'm you know, anticipating, I'm doing this great thing for my daughter and I'm making her this sweet cake and we get this great moment and who, and here's Lenora and she's like, mom, that's not Nala. That's not Nala, because in her mind, you know, like you say with kids that they get that picture in their head of what this is supposed to look like. 
So I'm beginning to get that kind of hang up of, oh my gosh, you know, the, you want to make the perfect cake and getting the, the burden of trying to have this perfect thing. And we see so much of that, you know, in the, in the grocery store aisle of all the, the magazines of how the perfection of the, the cake is supposed to look. Or, you know, I was just putting all this on myself. And I remember thinking to myself at the moment, I made like this mindful choice of how it was up to me to flip this situation because I could either start to really work myself up and just be so upset. Oh my gosh, the cake does, oh, you know, craziness. But I decided in that moment I was going to take charge of the situation and make it a learning moment. So I said to her, after, I will say, I've tried to do those eyes like three or four times. I really did. And I finally said, Lenora, Nala has a bug on her nose. <laughs> and thankfully she went with that and honestly now if we look back on it and we laugh because I really think it was a teachable moment that um, I learned that you know it does things have don't have to be perfect if I had chosen to get myself worked up what an awful memory that would have been and no need and for a child it was a wonderful thing a wonderful way to just learn to roll with it and that you know Things don't need to be perfect. Life's not perfect, and it's all perfect. So, thank you. In the next story, Jen Loop tells of the birth of her niece during a particularly challenging time in her life and what she didn't learn then, but what she does know now. I don't remember birthdays. Now, this isn't a cop-out. I'm not giving myself an excuse, although this has been somewhat of an issue with friends over the years. But dates do not stick in my head. To give an example, I know that my mom's birthday is in January, and I'm pretty sure my dad's birthday is in April. One of them is the 7th, and one of them is the 8th. And I am always asking my siblings which is which when this comes around. I've been lucky that some of the men I have dated have very memorable holiday birthdays. This helps me out a lot. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July. I can remember that's coming, and I can anticipate that. Well, I think this has to do with the fact that I have no visual memory. Now, this is a thing I learned in my 30s. Other people are like this, but I have no pictures in my head. When I close my eyes, there's nothing there. When I recount memories, it's not like I'm recounting a movie or even stills. I do not see pictures. And so memories for me attach to emotion. They attach to context and they attach to ideas. March 8th, 2014, and you can see I'm trying to remember this, is my niece's birthday. Now, lest you think that I am joking about this, I actually thought it was the 7th and I asked my sister to confirm when her daughter's birthday was. It is the 8th. I remember this day because I was out at the bar. Now, I remember I was out at the bar, vaguely, because this was something I was doing a lot at this time. I was doing my best to self-medicate and keep myself away from my emotions and the world. Now, it wasn't all bad, but I was heavily drinking. And I will give you the accurate explanation that I would give my therapist when I was being honest, which is I was probably drinking five to six to seven nights a week and binge drinking maybe four or five. Also blacking out occasionally. Um, Friday night would be often a Union Street night. Now, Union Street is a dive bar. I also love it for its historical ambiance. It has lovely tin ceilings. It's over 100 years old, wood floor. And they do things on Friday nights like buckets of beer. I did go back and check. They're $7. Um, and you get a bucket full of ice and you know as many beers as you would like throughout the night. So I did know my sister was pregnant. I had nine months to prepare myself for that. <laughs> She's my younger sister. And she's six years younger, and I'm the older or the eldest, and often the most responsible, but at this point in my life, I was not. 
So even though I knew she was pregnant and I knew that this was the time she was giving birth and she certainly was in labor, I was still out at the bar. Now, I did have a plan from getting to the bar to the hospital. I was not driving myself. My brother was going to come and pick me up. And I was out, and this was probably, I started probably seven or eight, and I was not being the most responsible at this point in my life. And of course, my phone was charging behind the bar. So when you are sort of a regular, they like to put your phone there, and you can go and check it. And the first idea memory I have of this night is my brother talking to the bouncer because he had told me via text that he was there to pick me up and I did not get it. So there's this vague idea of Alan being very irritable and trying to, con trying to explain to the bouncer that he was there to pick up his sister because his other sister was having a baby and I'm just having the time of my life dancing over by the tall tables. Now, I sort of remember leaving, and all my friends knew, and they were very supportive friends, that my sister was having a baby. And I remember this being sort of a celebration. I picture it as high fives. Like, yeah, like I actually was doing something that night. Um, but I left, and I don't remember that car ride. I do remember the first emotional memory I have connected to that night is walking up to the receptionist counter. And Alan, thankfully, was there to try to figure out where we were going. Otherwise, I do not know what room I would have ended up in. But I remember thinking with those dark fluorescent lights and the white walls and the polished floors that maybe I was someone that didn't quite belong there. I remember thinking, oh, now, yeah, I probably do smell like booze and cigarettes. And maybe this might not be the place where they think I should be. But they let us in. I'm following my brother. And we're sitting in the waiting room. My sister had had her baby, and everything was fine. And I remember at 12.30 or so just being irritated. I wasn't excited. I wasn't happy. I was just coming down from being too drunk and in a contrasting environment where when you're in the bar and everything's smoky and everyone's having a good time, the noise can kind of filter that out. And at that point... I just didn't want to be there. I had a headache. I was still drunk. And I remember sitting in that waiting room just holding a flimsy water bottle and just as a lifeline thinking about that water and that's all I wanted at that point. Well, I remember getting some sort of snack from someone's purse and Alan and I were waiting for a while. My mom had been in there as my sister was having her baby and they did let us in and my family is remarkably understanding and supportive. So I did get to hold the baby, which at this point also I'm sure the nurses were looking sort of askance. And I would like to say that at the moment I held my niece, the first next generation of our family, that I had a profound epiphany about how I was living my life and how I needed to change it. And I didn't. <laughs> I was still irritated, but I didn't drop the baby. That was my primary concern. And she was wonderful, and they were happy. Um, and now, Elodie is three and a half. She has a younger brother who is two. And every week, I take them to music class. And I put them in the car, and they're back in their car seats, and we talk. And we just talk about what we're seeing, and Cannon's trying to figure out whether the word up or down will make the window do what he wants it to do. And we discuss whether left or right is the right way to go because we do this every week. And Elodie will say something about, oh, what is that on the radio? And I'll talk about a violin. And she'll say, oh, well, that's an instrument. And I know other instruments. And every time we have these little conversations, I am tearing up. And I am choking up and hoping they don't notice because they're in their car seats because I'm so much more able to be connected to those moments. And I could say I regret not being connected to her birth, but that distance and that journey has made me and helped me be mindful in the moments that I am with them. So her birthday is March 8th, 2014, and even though I will ask my sister that date every single year, I will always remember her birthday.
Next, Leslie Ty felt like the word step was a giant gulf between her and her husband's son. But planning her stepson's birthday party finally made her feel like a real mom. So a lot of people, um, you know, when they're young, think about being a mom, you know, a lot of women or girls think about being a mom someday. And I've always thought that I'd be a really great stepmom. I'm not really sure why um, I don't have a stepmom, and I don't really remember growing up having a lot of friends who had stepparents. But I, I guess it must have been because I was like a really avid TV watcher, and I had this like affinity for these really great TV dads and movie dads. Um, I remember really loving Kramer versus Kramer when I was like a little kid. Um, and I was had the hugest crush on Steve Martin's character in the movie Parenthood. You know, his balloon wielding, like, you know, birthday party guy. Um, and um, when I was 12, from 12 to about 14, I watched 30 something every week with my mother. I loved this show. And while my mom was like rooting for Elliot and Nancy to like work out their problems and you know make make their marriage work, I was like rewriting the show for like Nancy to leave or like die off. And Elliot would be alone and this single dad and this young, like artistic, probably with like fun dyed hair, you know, <laughs> woman waltzes into their life and saves the day. Not that, now, when I got into my adult life, it wasn't like I was looking for all the single dads. But I, <laughs> I really, I swear, I really actually, the first single dad that I really seriously dated um, was when I was 37. Um, and he was the dad of a nine-year-old boy. And um, I remember very distinctly the second date that we had. He's here tonight, by the way, my husband, Tony. <laughs> I remember the second date that we had um, when he talked about being a father and how his job was really just to make sure that his son knew that he loved him unconditionally. And that is the moment that I started to fall in love with him. And Noah, his son, nine years old, obsessed with Phantom of the Opera, uh, loved to sing, loved, played the flute, loved animals, loved to draw, loved to be artistic. Um, he's just like, and, and the kindest soul, like as kind as his father, just absolutely fell in love with him too. So finally, my fantasy of being a stepmom had come true. <laughs> but the thing that I realized is that all these fantasies that I'd had when I was little were not the reality. Because in all my fantasies, there was, there was not a mom. And the reality was that Noah had a mom. And I was a stepmom. I became a stepmom. And the reality of being a stepmom, are any stepparents out there? A couple, maybe? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's not really the same thing as being a parent. At least, again, when that, that mom is in the picture. Um, it's important to note that actually, so before you think like I'm going to tell you some story about how awful things are, Noah's mom and I actually get along pretty well. In fact, last Mother's Day, she wrote me a, one of the nicest texts that I got on Mother's Day. Um, we were texting back and forth about Noah going back home um, to her house, and she said, you know, she thanked me for being such a loving and supportive mom to her son. So it's not that that we had necessarily a bad relationship, but... In the end, she's still his mom. And there's things that I've you know, missed from his life. And there's just decisions or things that are made that I'm, they're just not, they're not decisions that I'm necessarily a part of, especially when he was young, um, those first few years. Stepping into these shoes of being a stepmother just was far more difficult to navigate, kind of figure out what my role was in his life than I, than I really ever expected. And that brings me to the birthday party. Now, anyone who knows me and or like you know has heard stories that I've told about birthday parties, um, I love to throw a party. It is like my thing. And it should be mentioned before I go further the amazing coincidence that Noah and I actually share the same birthday. <laughs> Even more amazing and weird, as Tony is laughing over there, is that. Noah and I and his mother share the same birthday. Yeah, T 
Tony was like totally weirded out when he first found that out. Like after a few weeks of dating, he was like, I don't know about this. I guess it was fate. I don't know. So the first birthday that Noah and I had together, um, we, we had kind of an afternoon together, just the two of us. And so I was like, I wanted to make it special and fun. We went go-karting and had lunch and we went to morsels and like stuffed our faces with morsels. And it was really great. It was really cool to like share this birthday with him. But, you know, Noah just wasn't this kid who had birthday parties with his friends. For whatever reason, it's just not had been a thing with him. It was always a thing when I was growing up. I would want to have like a slumber party or birthday party. And it just wasn't his thing. So for the next few years, I would, you know, kind of bring it up or ask him about it. And he was like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, he would have a big party. His mother's side of the family is really big with all these cousins. So they would always have a big party. And then we would, you know, plan something with his cousins on his dad's side. But he just really wasn't about having a birthday party. And um, when he turned 13, I thought, okay, this is the chance. Like, turning 13 is a big deal, right? He's, like, officially becoming a teenager. So I told him, you know, if you want to have a birthday party with your friends, like, your dad and I would love to help you plan that. You'd do something really cool, really fun. And I even talked to his mom, you know, to say, if, if you wanted to plan a birthday party with his friends, we'd love to help out. What could we do? And... I remember just really being crushed when I went to pick him up one night, the very kind of end of school, um, pick him up from his mom's um, for the night, and she was finishing up birthday invitations. So she had decided to plan a birthday. He was going to take him to his school the next morning and give it out to his friends, and he was going to have, like, a birthday party, and we weren't <laughs> invited. And, you know, she asked me, are you, gonna, you guys going to throw a birthday party? And I was like... I think like two inviting all his friends to two different birthday parties probably probably not really gonna happen. I don't know, maybe it seems silly, you know, it's just a birthday. But this particular year was a little bit tough when, you know, all your your life you've always thought about being a mom and when you've recently been faced with the fact that the only kind of parent that you may ever be is a stepmom because your body has failed you and you waited too long and no amount of hormones or doctors or anything is really gonna help you have your own child. It was, that word step just seemed to like make me further and further away from the word mom. It was really a hard year. It was actually a year that um, I didn't even wanna celebrate my own birthday. So fast forward to spring of uh, this year, 2017, as Noah approached the age of 14. I didn't even ask him about a birthday party because I figured, you know, that just wasn't going to happen. And a miracle happened. He actually told his father that he wanted us to host his birthday. His plan, and I got to tell you, Noah making a plan for the first time is like unbelievable. He's making a plan. He wanted his friends to go to the mall, go shopping, and then go back to the TC condo, which is technically his step-grandparents' condo, and hang out in the basement, play games, and have cake and all that. Finally, it's my chance to have a birthday party. So he decided he wanted to make his own invitations. Um, he made them in color, so we had to take him to the copy place, you know, to get him colored and copy, uh, get color copies. And he said he wanted a dirt cake like he had had the last year. But I'm like, no, I am not going to just make, like, whatever dirt cake you had last year. I did all this research, and I, like, found this, like, gourmet chocolate cake soaked in hot fudge with, like, pudding and whipped cream and Oreos and all this delicious deliciousness and of course the, the gummy worms because you know that was important um we decided I was like well we probably should feed people so we decided to make tacos and make a taco bar for people he uh, helped him decorate the basement with like blue rope lighting and you know colored lights and the lamps got the games together um very cool not like dorky my most shining moment, though, was realizing that, you know, I was like, we weren't sure how many kids were coming. And we're like, how am I going to get? And, and Tony ended up having to work most of this day that we ended up having to put the birthday on, party on. So I was like, how am I going to get all these, you know, more than potentially more than four teenagers into, you know, car and take them back to the 
condo from the mall. And I realized, karaoke cab. <laughs> yes, so I rented the karaoke cab for an hour. So they had pick us up from, as a surprise, pick us up from the mall, drive us around, you can sing and you know have fun and then, and then go back to the condo. Um, yeah. So the so party had a couple bumps. It ended up only a couple of his friends could come, but um, I think it was exactly what he wanted. He got to go shopping. He got to do his thing. And Noah has always loved to sing, but um, since he's like started turning thirteen, he's like been really self conscious about his voice changing. So he, I mean, I got to tell you, this kid at our wedding, he belted out "Let It Go" in front of like 150 people, and he killed it. Like, this kid was amazing. But lately, he's been, like, not singing in public at all. Just in the shower, along with his Sia CDs, because he's obsessed with Sia. So um, I knew that I had won, like, I had, I had won the birthday mom thing. When in the karaoke cab, he was, like, singing full voice. And then the, the cabbie asked, hey, would you sing that song again so I can record it and put it on Facebook? And he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I guess, you know, as Noah's gotten older and he's kind of figured out who he is and he's kind of being more comfortable and kind of being this, this person that he's becoming, I've, I've finally found my footing as his stepmom. And as he'll tell you, out of all of his parents, I'm the cool one. <laughs> Thank you. When the authorities weren't as alarmed as Matt Soderquist that an identity thief stole all his money on his birthday, he wondered if he should take matters into his own hands. So I log into my bank account like every other morning, except this morning is December 11th, my birthday. And this birthday morning, I have a mystery gift. And the only clue is a negative $900 available balance in my checking account. <laughs> so I thought for a minute, well, maybe my wife bought me something really nice. <laughs> and when I called her, she laughed out loud and she was quite amused. We were newly married and basically living paycheck to paycheck, so the thought of spending about $1,200 on a birthday gift just a couple weeks prior to Christmas amused her. <laughs> but I contacted the bank, and they froze the account, but the money was already gone. And when the charges cleared later in that afternoon, we found out that someone had purchased nine $100 gift cards from a Walmart in Atlanta, Georgia, and also a couple hundred more dollars at several gas stations throughout the state. Now to dispute these charges, I had to make a police report. So I go down to the police station and I give them all the information. And the nice police officer gives me an incident report number and he says, oh, the bank will handle the rest. And I was like, um, someone just stole $1,200 from me, and you're not going to do anything? And he said, I, I, I said, there's, there's so many leads. <laughs> I said, we have transaction numbers from a Walmart store. Walmart has surveillance video cameras. We can get the surveillance video camera of these checkout lanes. And we can at least find out what this person looks like. I said, not to mention the half dozen gas stations throughout the state. At least one of these gas stations has got to have a surveillance camera. I'm talking a make and model of the vehicle, a color, maybe even a license plate number. Hell, if we run a DMV check, we might get a birth date, social security number, <laughs> address, and a phone number for this guy. And they said, yeah, we don't do that. And my head is about ready to explode, and I'm thinking to myself, is this really the state of the police work in our country? <laughs> but I, I didn't really start to panic until the bank said it might be 
10 or 12 days until the funds were reimbursed. So I went out in the garage and I grabbed all the pop bottles I had and I started wrapping all the change I had in the bedroom. And I went and bought a couple of loaves of bread and some milk for the kids. And I thought to myself, I could track this guy down. <laughs> I've tracked people down with less information and much fewer resources. About a year prior, I'd got a call from the police and they had just arrested this mom's boyfriend on assault charges. Only he hadn't assaulted her, he had assaulted her six-year-old son. Now the six-year-old son, Johnny, had a men's size 12 boot print bruise on his back. And when we interviewed the mom's boyfriend at the county jail, he wouldn't give us any information. But Johnny, he liked to talk. And Johnny said that mom's boyfriend had held him down with his boot in the bathroom because he refused to get in the scalding hot shower that he was trying to put him in. And Johnny had to watch his two-year-old brother get that same scalding hot shower. Now, I've removed dozens of kids from drug-addicted newborns to homeless teenagers. And a lot of people ask me, how do you do that? How do you remove kids? And I always tell them the same thing. I said, it's not the ones that we removed that keep me up at night. It's the ones where we didn't have enough evidence. We don't have enough proof, even though we can feel it deep down in our gut that just something is not right. We don't have enough to take any action. So we left Johnny and his siblings with their mom. Mom and her boyfriend had a new baby, but you know, mom promised there'd be no contact with the boyfriend if he was released from jail. And about two days before Christmas, the judge just had pity on this man and released him on bond. And I went to the store around the corner from my house day before Christmas, day before Christmas Eve, to get some extra wrapping paper. And the mom worked at this store, and she didn't see me, but I checked out, and she was at the service counter. And on Christmas morning, as my kids were unwrapping their presents, I couldn't stop thinking about Johnny and wondering what his Christmas morning was like. And was he getting to open up any presents this morning? I was wondering how his back was doing, that men's size 12 boot print. So my first day back to the office, I swung around to their apartment to see how they were doing. I peeked in the window, and it was completely cleaned out. Phone calls went unanswered. The kids never came back to school. The police tracked the boyfriend south of town but lost, but lost him when he got out of state. Now sometimes when we'd get a complaint about a family not having enough food, we could track their food purchases and help them maintain a budget. And so I tracked her food purchases. And I tracked the mom downstate. And I tracked her for a week as she traveled across the country, from gas station to gas station, from grocery store to grocery store, until all that she had left was a dollar and 58 cents. And then there was no activity for weeks. I wasn't sure if she stopped traveling or if she just stopped purchasing the food. I contacted the local authorities where she had last purchased something, and they sent out they sent out a notice to all the schools to see if these kids were ever enrolled. After several weeks, still no hits. 
My soup told me to close the case. I ran the card one last time. And the day prior, the mom spent her last dollar and 58 cents. And she spent it at a store that she had worked at when she lived in Michigan. And I thought, I wonder if she works there. And so I called the worker and I said, hey, mom just spent her last buck. Why don't you go check this place out? And I didn't hear back for a couple days. We sent all of our police reports, we sent all of our pictures, we sent all of our evidence. And the worker out of state called me and she said, man, I went to the store, but the mom wasn't working. But she does work there. And the manager gave me her home address. And I went to the home with the police and all three of those boys were there. And the boyfriend is sitting on the couch. And we arrested the boyfriend. And those boys are safe. And we never caught the guy who stole 1200 bucks from me on my birthday. <laughs> and after a few days, the bank reimbursed all the funds and gave me a new account. But what nobody understands about this kind of public service work is that every now and then, you're the one who gets to put a boot-sized print on a bad guy. And I'm not supposed to talk about that when I visit my kid's school on career day. And it doesn't get me very far in the locker room with the guys. <laughs> but it's hard to beat when you actually get to do it. Thank you. She was born dead, but another fight to want to stay alive came for Janelle Bowers on her 35th birthday. have always been a little bit tricky for me. Um, you know, like, if you start a project and you start it off on the wrong foot, like, it kind of can go downhill from there. Well, that was kind of how it was for me with birthdays, only it was, like, the day I was born. It just, like, started out on the wrong foot, right? So my mom ended up having to get induced on my due date because I wasn't growing anymore. Um, and after hours and hours of agonizing labor, I was born... Um, but I was born not breathing. Um, I came out blue and floppy, and I didn't breathe for a full five minutes. Um, they had to fully resuscitate me. I was really sick, and I was tiny. I had a, a true knot in my cord, meaning that not just, and it was like wrapped around my neck a few times too, but also just like there was a knot in it, so I wasn't getting nutrients for a long time. And the doctors told my mother that I would either be severely retarded or blind or both. And my mom was like 19. I was her second child. She was scared. Um, and my family sort of never let me like forget this, right? But not in like the vulnerable, like we're so happy you're here sort of way. <laughs> in the like, my mom would go, well, we all know you're not blind. <laughs> uh, so that sort of started it off on the wrong foot, right? Um, and there would always be these valiant efforts, because I love birthdays. Like, I think it's really wonderful to have one day where you get to, like, celebrate the people that you love. And so I've always wanted to have that. So I would, like, do things like throw elaborate dinner parties for myself, but then it would be me cooking all day, and, like, that's not that special. And so... Um, this year I turned 35 and you know there are a few things that have shifted over the years where like I grew up in Northern California and on my birthday it would always be like 72 and sunny but my birthday's in the beginning of March 
And that in California is not like there was one year there was like fucking thunder snow. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> and it like the power went out and shit. It was great on my 30th birthday. So it was a whole different thing. And, and something about turning 35 felt really significant. Like you reach this point in life where like I don't think anybody has ever said you know, I know that they're putting their life in the toilet right now, but just give them a minute. They're only 35. <laughs> like, no one has ever said that. Uh, you, you reach the point where, like, the little bit of compassion you may have had for being a complete and total fuck-up is now non-existent. And everybody is basically just like, do your fucking job and shut up. So that was wearing on me a little bit. And, and there are all those times, like 35 was always that marker for me when I was like 20, where I'd go, I don't want to wake up one day and be 35. <laughs> and then whatever thing you think is unimaginable when you're like 20, because getting there is like a destination when you're in your 20s, right? You're going to get there. You don't realize it's a moving target at least if you're continuing to grow as a person. And I, you know, let's face it, y'all, 2016 was, like, shitty. It was, like, real bad. I, like, went through a really significant breakup and um, who, like, it, like, continued to lag. Like, we broke up in August and they just, like, kept fucking living there. Like, they just kept living with me and living with me and, like, living with me. And so... <laughs> And just like weird shit, like I was learning to use Tinder for the first time. I hadn't dated in nine years. Like, what Tinder? What? No, you like went on Craigslist to have weird skeevy sex with strangers, but <laughs> you didn't. Like the last time I was single, like the iPhone had just been released. You know, I didn't know about Tinder. And so it was like about a week before my 35th birthday, and um. I had met someone on Tinder, this, this woman, and I thought she was mostly okay. She was mostly really cool, I thought. There were some warning signs, but I was being open-minded. <laughs> and um, so my, the boyfriend that kept lingering, he was moving out of my house a week before my birthday, which also, my birthday happens to land two days before his. And so he was moving out this one particular Saturday a week before my birthday. And it should be noted that he was moving directly into his new girlfriend's house. Uh, so that was cool. Um, and I thought, I know, I, I'll pamper myself. I'm going to get myself some new glasses. I'm going to get a fresh fade. It'll feel nice. And then my, my girlfriend at the time, she was moving up from Manistee, which I thought was going to be a good thing. So I go to the optometrist. And, uh, you know, he, start, he starts asking me some questions, like that big crazy thing in front of my face with all the lens switchers. Uh, and he goes, so how's your reading? And I said, well, you know, it's a little blurry sometimes. <laughs> and he goes, ah, hang on. And he, like, flips a bunch of shit. He's like, now try. Y'all, that shit was crystal clear. And I was like, wow, I can see so much better. And he was like, yeah, at this age, it just starts to happen. You need bifocals. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And he's like, and that night vision that you've been talking about? I mean, I hate to say it, but this is really the start of like, you're probably not going to be able to drive at night. And I was just like, oh, good. Good Lord. Okay. Like, fine, let me go get my hair cut. I sit down in the barber's chair, immediately leave the optometrist, go to the barber, sit down in the barber's chair. Lady starts rubbing her, you know, combing my hair, rubbing her hands through my hair, and then she kind of stops and, like, starts examining it a little closer. I'm like, what's it? Do I have lice or some shit? Like, I have kids in elementary school. That's real. Like, what is going on? And she looks, and she's like, oh, I hate to say it. About 80% of your new growth is gray. And I'm like, what the fuck? This was my day. 
to like pamper my shit. Did the optometrist and the barber call each other up and they were like, I know, I know. <laughs> this is gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Let's welcome this bitch to middle age. Hello, bifocals and gray hair. So, I dust that shit off. I go and help, in retrospect, my completely batshit crazy fucking girlfriend move to Traverse City. And for like a day, it's okay. And I, but you know, like I had all this grief to process of this relationship ending and him moving in to this new house, you know, is when this with his girlfriend and, but like under the smothering love of this woman, I didn't really have the space to do that. And so I, I just, you know, I sort of wrote it out. I thought, well, we'll, we'll have an adjustment period. And then my birthday was coming and it happened to land on a Monday and you know, you don't really celebrate your birthday on Monday so much. And so she started telling me, well, my, my best friend is going to come into town who I had never met. She hadn't seen in years and we're going to go out and we'll celebrate your birthday. Great. That sounds like a great time. I like meeting new people. Yes, absolutely. So we're supposed to do this Sunday, Sunday before my birthday. And, uh, she says, we're going to go out and gr grab a beer, catch up, so you don't have to be involved in that. And then we'll come to your house, we'll go to dinner and celebrate. She comes to my house three hours late. Fucking wasted, you guys. Like, she's drunk. She, like, walks in my house yelling. Like, just wasted yelling. And then we go to dinner, and, you know, I'm rolling with it. I think, I can't beat him, join him. So I try to catch up, you know. Right? Turns out they were a little too far in. <laughs> but we order all these drinks, we have all this food, and the check comes. And it sits on that table until I pick it up and pay for it. And then we go back to my house, and she gets so drunk she pukes and like gets in a fight with her best friend. And I finally get her to go to bed, and she's like trying to get me to sleep with her, and I'm just like, no, I promise that no, that's okay. Um, and I end up having to like kind of hold her, like bear hug her until she finally just falls asleep about two o'clock in the morning. And I wake up the morning of my 35th birthday, and I have this basically a stranger in my bed. It's the first year in years that I haven't celebrated with this partner that I had. And my house still isn't put together, right? Like, he moved out. There's a whole separation of stuff that happens. And there's this stranger in my bed, and I look at my house, and there are just these empty spaces of, like, a ghost of a relationship that haven't been filled in yet. They haven't been lived in enough without him there for the space to be filled up again. And I'm kind of fucking hungover, and I'm, like, tired, and I get ready to go to work. And I, I make myself some coffee, and I go to work, and I, I'm driving there, and I just start crying. And I call Nate, who was the ex that I had broken up with, and I said, I really don't know how to do this birthday without you. I don't know how to do this transition without you. And you know, I don't understand how you could move in with someone else. Like, we had talked about spending a life together, and... And I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did. And he said, you didn't do anything. But when I said those things, I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't know enough about you. And I didn't know that you were just too damaged for me to love. And I think what he meant by that was, with his own pain, he didn't know how to navigate mine, right? But what he said was not that. And so I went to work. And all day at work, uh, you know, the, the girlfriend's best friend had sort of had this intervention with her and said, you really need to make this up to your girlfriend because you fucked up bad last night. So she's sending me these really sort of apologetic text messages and saying, please come over. Let me make you dinner. Let me make it up to you. I go there, and she's just like really hungover and in frazzled shape. But she's dressed up, and she, her and her friend went to the store to like buy the makings of a really nice dinner. A really nice dinner that she had no idea how to cook. Um, 
And so I got there and she's fumbling around and being the mother that I am, I was like, okay, get the fuck, just go, just go sit down. So I cooked us dinner. Um, and we ate dinner and I, I went home. I took my little cheesecake, little slice of cheesecake she bought me and I went home by myself. And I was driving home and it was like all of these things came at me, it was like, God, this is not where you're supposed to be when you're 35. I don't know where you're supposed to be, but this didn't feel like it. And I had these moments of, it was like this, what I now know and what I knew then, I was lucky enough to know then, are just these PTSD trigger moments. It was like all of the abandonment came to me at that moment. And I thought, my God, you were born dead. You were born dead. And this person you love just told you you were too damaged to love. Like, what am I doing? And so I have this friend. Um, his name's Fritzo. And he's, everybody should have a friend like Fritzo. Um, like, he'll annoy the shit out of you because he'll, like, talk to you about, like, dipping his crystal necklace, like, in a waterfall because it vibrates at 432 megahertz and you can recharge your chakras and shit. And that's really annoying. <laughs> But he's also a really good listener and is spiritually deep. And I, I called Fritz because he's endlessly positive. And I went on this rant. I was crying and I was saying, Fritz, oh, I was born dead. And this person that was closer to me than anybody ever has been told me I was too damaged to love and what am I doing? And he sat and he listened for a long, long time. And when I was done, when I had talked all I could talk, um, he said, Jay, I don't, I don't hear someone who's a walking ghost, which is what you're telling me you feel like, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I feel today. And he said, I hear someone who has woken up every day of their life and came into this world fighting to survive. You fought to be here. And guess what, sister, against every other odd, you're 35 today. You made it. So let all those gray hairs shine. <laughs> let that big gray light shine. <laughs> because whether you like it or not, we're here. You're here. You made it. And it made me, it talked me off the ledge. Because he's great like that. But I went to bed, woke up the next morning, went to pull my, uh, pour my kids a bowl of cereal. That hungover bitch ate the la kids of my last of my kids' cereal. Put that shit back up on the fridge. Didn't even say anything. That's all. <laughs> Thanks. In our final story of the evening, Crystal Frost notes that having a birthday is what makes us feel special, even though it's one thing we all have in common. But she wonders if maybe, just maybe, could her birthday indeed be more special? All right, so I love birthdays. I really do. I love cake. I mean, what's not to love about birthdays? People say nice things to you, and they give you presents, and you get to eat cake, and it's just fantastic. But I've really been thinking about birthdays a lot over the last, I don't know, eight, nine years or so. And the funny thing about birthdays to me is that we all have them, and yet, for whatever reason, we've been given license that this is our special day. It is my birthday, and I can do whatever I want. And everybody's just like, oh, okay, you know? It's your birthday. But we all have birthdays. Like, every person in this room, raise your hand if you haven't had a birthday because we were all born. Like, that doesn't actually make you special. The unique quality of birthdays is not special. We all just made our way out of a uterus. That's what happened. That's birthdays. 
And it really starts early on with your parents. They're like, oh, you're so special. And this is your special day. And you're like, yes, it is. And now I shall party. And you are all in my party. And you listen to whatever I say. And our parents bring over all these people. And, and then they just bring you stuff. And you're like, yes, bow to the king, you know? I mean, that's what it's all about. And then we have this cake and we light it on fire and we sneeze it out and people clap and they cheer and we say eat the cake now and and they eat the cake that we just sneezed on because it's our birthday and birthdays for me though other than the you know everybody has to listen to you I mean the parties growing up were kind of boring I mean because, you know, we had the cake, and mom got you a few presents, and family came over, and I was always like, well, you guys, I see these people every day. Like, make it special. What is special about this, you know? And then you start to get a little bit older, and at 16, you can drive a car, and you're like, yeah, this is the best birthday. And then at 18, you can, like, buy pornography, and you're like, yeah, it's the best day. And then at 19, you can go and drink in Canada, and it's the best day. And then at 21, you can drink everywhere, and everyone makes you feel like you have to drink everywhere, and you don't remember it, but it's the best day, you know? I mean, that's really what birthdays are all about. Now, after I turned 30, all of my birthdays got a little less fun because 30 was a big 30 for me. It was like, yes, I'm not a baby, and now you have to listen to what I have to say, and this is important, and I am an adult, and I do adult things, you know? And, like, I buy coffee at coffee shops. That was a big thing for me. It was amazing. But as I've gotten older, and then I go, oh, it's, it's my birthday. Oh, joy. I suppose we should probably do something. But then something really interesting happened this year. And it didn't happen on my birthday. But it really made me think about my birthday. We all celebrated this this year, maybe some more than others, me. On August 21st of this year, 2017, of course, Americans call this the Great American Eclipse. And it became the biggest thing in the world. I mean, people were looking for eclipse glasses, and everyone was talking about things like the path of totality. And for a second, I was like, are we all Scientologists? What is going on? Like, we need to be closer to the path of totality. Like, what is happening? But what happened to me was that I got sucked so far into this eclipse because it really, really was special. I mean, what happened was that for the very first time in 99 years, the entire contiguous United States of America was going to be able to see this solar eclipse. And that is a big deal. So I was like, whoa, I am in full research mode. I need to know every eclipse that has ever happened that I maybe have been a part of and just didn't pay attention. And that's when I came across the other eclipse, the lesser known. On February 26th of 1979, which is my birthday, <laughs> the day I was born. Holy shit. I am special. And I am a fucking alien. Now, I, I really need you to bear with me for a moment as I explain after having just said that, that I am usually a pretty rational person, okay? I mean, if there are nine, well, let's say there are 10 voices in my head talking, okay? Nine of them are saying, you're just a normal person. But that one voice was the one I was paying attention to. And that one voice was like, listen, you gotta be prepared 
because some shit might go down on August 21st. And you might go home. And unfortunately, this is not the first time I had thought this. Because old number 10 in my head has spoken before. When I was in my 20s and in my early 30s, I can say that now, I dove headfirst into this ethereal world. I was like, oh, I'm an indigo child. Oh, I'm a crystal child. Rainbow. Woo! Oh, my God. And I just dove right in, and I'm past life regression, and oh, no, I'm a CD baby, and I'm just on track seven. And I was so into it. And during all of my research about this eclipse, I came across a little article from a reputable <laughs> site. Lord, I just pray my husband just deletes all of my search history for that three months. And I read that one other thing that was convincing number 10 in my head. Because I have RH negative blood. Add that to the puzzle of crystal. And when I read that from this disgraced scientist, for real, I was like, oh, I'm, yes, I'm an alien. And all of my RH negative friends, and, uh, and if you're a sister or brother, whatever, according to this scientist, we're all aliens if we have RH negative blood. Put your fists in the air. Yes, there are very few of us, but I see some. So that, I mean, this was what was going on in my life in my 20s and 30s, because what was really going on in my life in my 20s and 30s was that I was trying to explain how I had always felt that I didn't belong. Like, just always felt that I just didn't belong. And I was thinking that it couldn't be what had happened here on this earth that made me feel like that. Because what happened here on this earth, for so many of us, is just too unbearable. So we look to something else. And then we say, well, my back pain is because, well, I had back issues when I was helping to build the pyramids with my alien brethren. <laughs> and these are the things that I do. I mean, I watch ancient aliens like a mofo. <laughs> and I say, yes, we were. I mean, they were there. <laughs> it was all just to hide this stuff. This stuff that... Was, it was so much easier to explain with a therapist, but I spent a whole lot more time with a psychic, you know? I was like, oh, yeah, you can see that in my hand? Yes, I know it. So gearing up for this great American eclipse, I just kept thinking about all of that stuff, and if you're concerned that it got a little too weird, it did. Because... Every part of me, all of the nine sane people in my head were going, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the other one was like, you're right. Keep going. March forward. <laughs> and I realized that it could be a little bit of a problem when I was sitting down with my children. And I said, now, Mommy might disappear on the 21st of August. <laughs> and my husband said, nope, we're not going to say that. <laughs> And then I tried to explain to myself and the sane voices and my husband that I was only saying that so that maybe if it did happen that they could all tell my story. 
And when People Magazine came knocking on the doors, well, your mom disappeared. And it's, well, she was born during an eclipse, February 26, 1979. And Oprah would come out of retirement, and wherever I was, I would go, yes, my story has been told. But the, I mean, spoiler alert, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> just, so, just so we're all on the same page here. The eclipse came and uh, we all sat outside, weirdly disappointed that we didn't really see anything, which is such a ridiculously selfish point of view. Like the universe is putting on this show in front of you that hasn't been seen in decades. And you're like, man, I don't have good seats, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like if Hamilton came here and you got to be outside in the alley, you're like, ah, oh, this is stupid. What a boring play. <laughs> it's, it was amazingly egomaniacal. And during the time, though, I'm sitting there and I'm mustering it up and I'm sitting there on my lawn chair in the backyard and I'm trying to feel something. And number 10 here is trying to feel some sort of message, something that would be sent to me to confirm all of those theories of how I was different and maybe why I had depression and I never felt like I really fit in and I had anxiety and I was restless and I would have strange dreams and I would search for meaning in everything and I would go, well, it's the universe. I mean, maybe it wasn't the universe, maybe it was me. And I was constantly looking for that message and I didn't get it. But what I did get was something a little better. Because in that moment, I realized that like birthdays, there is something else that connects every one of us. Something that really isn't at all unique, but is uniquely experienced by every single one of us. We're all on this little marble in the universe searching for meaning, not beyond ourselves, but within ourselves. And back in my 20s, when I was searching for answers about who I was, I now understand that that led me to this point in my life where I'm defining why I was. And just like the birthday that we all have, that is only special because we make it special, the why in our lives is only special because we make it that way. Thank you. Hearsay is a live storytelling show staged monthly in Traverse City, Michigan. Our podcast is produced by A.J. Scott. Thank you to our venue sponsor, The Workshop Brewing Company. Find out more about Hearsay at our website, hearsaystorytelling.com. This is Karen Stein, Hearsay's founder and creative director. Join us in November, where our theme is Spotlight. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.